All right, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the well. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. We'll be in First Timothy. We've taken a four-week break from Timothy. Uh, we went through a small sermon series called Summer Sessions. The other elders preached through it. If you haven't, you weren't here, go back. It's online. Listen to it. It was incredibly encouraging to me and my family. But we're in Timothy today. Uh, go ahead and uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. We want you to have it. We believe the Bible is God's word. It's God revealing himself to us. God has spoken and he has spoken to us. So it's possible. And in the day we live in, in the world we live in, it, sound, it seems really confusing about what news to believe, what, to, what is true, how to navigate this world. Uh, but one thing can be sure is that we can know God. We can know his revealed will. He can, we can know him. Our maker. And he wrote 66 books to you, to me, for us to know. And so we're going to be, we're going, to be uh, going verse by verse through 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 1 through 8. But before we get there, I want to set us up where we're at. So if you will, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, or it'll be on the screen. I want to tell you about the, this reality. There's this war, this real war. It's between uh, Satan and demons and Jesus and his people. And it began in the, in the very beginning, in the, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. We, we preached through it. I preached through it for uh, upwards of over a year. And the, Genesis is, a, is a, uh, the book of beginnings. It tells us where we came from, how it all got messed up, how it started, how, how we get out of the mess we're in. Uh, it, it foretells all of that. And it is God speaking to us, revealing to how this all happened. And he says something in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15. He speaks to uh, uh, Satan and, and demons and Jesus and his people. And he says this in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you. He's talking to, to Satan. He's talking to him. Between and the woman. So what, what happened is Satan deceived Eve he de- and therefore deceived Adam and Eve and whole, the whole uh, uh, human race at that time. He says, because of that, you will, there, will be, there will be strife, there will be enmity. You will be at war between the, the woman and between your, uh, your offspring and her offspring. She will have offspring, and you will have offspring. Satan and demons exist. Jesus and his people exist. She's, her offspring, the offspring of Eve that he's referring to, is Jesus. He says, this is what will happen. It will be a fight. It will be a war. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. There's this, this war that took place in the, in the heavenly places and now in the spiritual realm. And now it's taking place here in real life, in real time. And so oftentimes when you talk about spiritual warfare, people get all weirded out. And they're like, man, is there going to be something scary or some sort of weird feelings? And, and we're going to talk about all that today. But, but I, I, I say that because from the beginning, there's been a war for your soul. From the beginning, there's a war for your mind. And from the beginning, there's been, there's been really one kingdom. That's Jesus and his kingdom. And then there's been the, 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 the other kingdom is a rebel army that's rebelling against the king. Rebelling against the king. And so Satan has deceived. He deceived our first parents. means he lied to them. He tricked them. He caused them to disobey God. He made them think something was very plausible, very wise, very true. And they went after it. And in doing so, they rebelled against God. And he continues still to this day. I need you to see the war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human to human. It's, not, it's against what, the, what Ephesians tells us. It's against principalities of darkness. The war is in the spiritual realm. It takes place in the physical. But the war is not against you and I. It's not against us and them. Those things don't exist in, in God's language of, of spiritual warfare. It's Satan and demons versus Jesus and his people. And King Jesus has already died in the place for sinners. He's already risen from the dead victorious. So if you're a Christian, you know, love, and trust Jesus, he wins. He wins the war. He's won the war. We fight from victory, not for victory. What we are doing is heralding to a people, to people who have been deceived, who, are, who, are, uh, 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 who, are like, who were like us, gone astray. We're heralding that Jesus loves, Jesus cares, Jesus rescues, Jesus redeems, Jesus saves. And if, you're, if, you've, if you watch movies, I like movies, some of you read books and watch movies, praise be to God, both of those. But uh, if you've ever been, you can see it more when you're reading a book. 
and you see in, in the, the plot where a character, maybe oftentimes it's the main character or the, the protagonist, the hero of the story, you start to see that they, they start questioning what's, what's right and what's wrong, what's good and evil. The, the, the lines between good and evil become blurred. You see this in, in movies as well, uh, whether it be, you know, the Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potters, or, you know, Edmund in, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's, he, he's being deceived, and you, start, you, you see it as, a, as an observer. You're going, he's going the wrong way, or don't go into that room. That's where the bad guy is. You're, you're watching it unfold, correct? And you're watching deception play out. And you're like, man, that, that, that main character is being deceived. But the, the character in the story is un, unaware. They think they're doing what's right. They often, the lines are blurred between good and evil. The fog of war has set in. They don't know what's right and what's wrong oftentimes. Or even then, in certain movies, even in, in, in movies that we have for children, that the, the child, who is the, the, the main character, rebels against their parents, runs away into danger, and somehow they're the heroes. Like, the kids are watching, that's what you're supposed to do. Run away from your parents. Run away from protection. What, what this happens is it is happening in real time as well. We are tempted to, to run away from King Jesus, from his church, from his word, namely his word. And, and run towards disobedience. And so oftentimes we're looking at our friends, we're looking at the culture, we're looking at, at the, the, the people we used to like, the people we now like, and we're, we're trying to figure out which way is the right way. I say all this because this is exactly what Paul is addressing to Timothy. So if you will, turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, chapter, one, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul's addressing this reality. He says this, he gives a warning that deception is in the church. It's a warning to the church. He says, Now the Spirit expressly or clearly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. This means that individuals who are in the church, who are Christians, no longer, they, they forsake the faith. They leave. They say, I, I used to know, love, and worship Jesus. Now I'm going to uh, find another way. He says it's happening. He says later times he's meaning Timothy and later in your time and he's speaking to our time. And every time between now or between Timothy's time and the time that Jesus comes back, there will be people who will depart from the faith. They will leave the faith. So he's giving them a warning. Paul's writing to this church because he loves them. He cares for them. And he's warning them. He says not only they will depart, but they will depart from the faith by doing what? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. See, it's a spiritual battle. And teaching of demons. You're like, I didn't, no one, I don't know anyone who's willfully said, I want to follow demons. I, some of you may know folks that are like, yep, I, I, I want to you know, follow the demons. Demons oftentimes masquerade themselves as uh, angels of light. Demonic, ordinary demonic uh, in, in real time looks pretty normal. So we often call them human rights sometimes. But I'll get to that more in a second if you're confused about what I mean by that. The teaching of demons through the, through the insincerity of liars. Those, these are, this is hip, hip, hypocritical teachers. They're lying whose consciences are seared like a stake. It's not a good thing for your conscience to be seared. And he's saying, the Holy Spirit has told me. The Holy Spirit has revealed. God wants the church to know that there's times, there's seasons where people will be deceived by teachings of lies. See, that's all Satan does. He lied to Adam and Eve. He lies to you and me. He only, always, frequently, forever lies and deceives. He's not sincere. He's dishonest. He says, those will, some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to this teaching. The question is, the, the real question is, who has your devotion? Because where your devotion lies will be your, your greatest teacher. And whoever you're devoted to and whatever you are devoted to, if Satan has his grip on them, you will be deceived. And so for us, we don't follow teachers Christians aren't loyal to teachers. We're loyal to Jesus and the Bible. The same author who writes to Timothy wrote to another church called the Corinthians. He says, hey, stop saying you follow me, you follow that other guy. Stop choosing favorite teachers. We follow Jesus. 
And we live in a world that loves the fanboy, some, some Bible teachers. We like that guy. We like these, this, this church's music. That church is teaching. This church's literature. And, and Christians just huddle up and find whoever they, they like. It's like cons- they're, they're consumers. And what happens when you, you love a teacher or a teaching over Jesus when that teacher goes astray, you're tempted to do the same. Oftentimes it happens you don't even know it. And Paul's telling Timothy, hey, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in your church. It's going to happen in our church. It's happened in our church. It will happen in this city. It will happen. I want to warn you. And I want to warn the church to be aware of it. That they will depart from the teaching of the scriptures. These deceitful spirits, they're, they're going to make things, it's going to seem like the lines are blurry. I don't really know who to trust. I don't know who to believe. Satan is really good at half-truths. Satan even told Jesus half-truths trying to deceive him. He says this is a, a teaching of demons. And I know that sounds scary. I know it sounds like, ah, that sounds really scary. But look at this. It's not going to be on the screens, uh, but if you take note of this, it's, first, it's 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. Same writer, the Apostle Paul says, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will, will correspond to their deeds. Someone is teaching, and they're teaching things that God forbids. False teacher. Teaching of demons. Like, that sounds harsh. I just, I'm just telling you what it says. You're like, well, I don't want to be associated with demons. I don't want you to be either. If you ever told a lie, you were acting like Satan. Just want you to know, that's, that's, how, that's how demonic is so normalized. Lies, deceptions, half-truths, demonic and so what happens is we get conditioned to telling lies, believing lies, half-truths. We can become okay with it. Oh, that's a, quote, white lie, whatever that means. And, and that's what we, those are okay. Those, these, these, lying is okay in these situations. Did, not telling the truth. Withholding the truth in these cases, ah, they're okay. Because why? They fit whatever need you need. In that moment, you're participating in the same act, in the same repetitions, in the same lifestyle as Satan and demons. So it's, it, so it's so normal oftentimes that, to lie, that we see lies or we tell lies that when we hear a lie, we go, oh, it's just not fully true. That's okay. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not going to hurt anyone. And, and Paul is saying, hey, this is how Satan works and this is how his teachers work. Churches that have drag ministries. That's true. You're like, some of you are like, I didn't know that. And you know, some of you don't know what drag means. Don't look it up. It'll be okay. Participate in Pride Month, who were, who were against the overturning of Roe. Those are all, those are churches that have, this, who have, who have linked up in cahoots with Satan and demons. And they may not know that. They may not be like, that's what I want to do. But they're believing the lie of, the, of culture. They're affirming what God forbids. And then what they've done is these teachers, these churches, they've, they've unknowingly, many of them have become servants of Satan. And this is what Paul is saying. Like, it's not that they're walking around going, I'm on team Satan, wearing shirts like this. They've been deceived. They've been deceived. And hear me, hear me this. Deception can happen to all of us. This isn't an us versus them. Deception can happen to all of us. It happened to two of Jesus' disciples. One named Peter, the other named Judas. Both of them deceived. Both of them rebelled. Peter denied Jesus. Said, I don't want to be associated with him anymore. He's, he was of the camp who was leaving the faith. Judas sold Jesus out, left the faith as well. The difference between Judas and Peter was Peter repented, Judas didn't. Both were demonically deceived. 
So oftentimes you hear, when you hear me say these things, and you're like, oh, he's being really harsh to churches, or, or he's being, this is how Jesus talked to his disciples. He told Peter, we'll get to it later a little bit more, he told Peter, stop acting like Satan from time to time, when Peter was acting like Satan. When it was Peter was, was, was saying things that may be false, or when Peter was trying to get Jesus to not to go to the cross, to die for sinners. He said, man, that's demonic. We live in a world that when we say those things, everyone gets offended and hurt. Don't. What I'm trying to say is we're all capable of being deceived. The difference is when we're confronted with the, the word of God, do we repent and go back to Jesus? Or do we rebel like Judas and shipwreck our faith? Paul is warning us against that. And so, what these false teachers are teaching here in verse 3, he says this, they, they forbid marriage. It's always a tackle marriage. It always is. And they require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy or it's set apart by the word of God, which is our standard in prayer, which is how we communicate with God. That's what he, that's what he says. See, this attack, these false teachers of, of Timothy's day, they're attacking marriage and food. Some of you are like, that's weird. Yeah, you're right. It is weird when they're like, don't you know, be a single vegan. That is weird. Like, that's the standard of holiness in their day was like, don't eat meat and, you know, you know don't eat that food. Um, Here's the deal. When people start forbidding what God has said is good, it's demonic. That's what he's saying here. They're forbidding what God created as good. God created marriage. God created food. He's saying you should eat it. It's, the, the food is set apart. But you should, it is made holy by God's word. If God created it, he made the food. Eat it, partake of it with thanksgiving. Because God has blessed you with it. Be happy. Eat it. It's good. Thank God for it through prayer. Enjoy it. Marriage should not be forbidden. For those who want to be married, God is a standard. His one woman, if you're a man, one woman forever. That's you. That's, that's, that's marriage. That's how God designed it. One man, one woman forever. That's how he designed it. And so, he's, and so the forbidding of what God created as good is what has infiltrated the church. And this is how you, you, you know that it's demonic. It's because they're saying, if you do these things, you will become more holy. As if Jesus wasn't enough. If anyone ever tells you to do more things, and then you'll become more godly or more Christian or more holy or more righteous, the more stuff you do to prove it externally, liars. There's nothing you can do to add to the mercy and grace of Jesus. You can't out Jesus is mercy and grace, and you can't add to it through your good works, your good deeds, or your not eating food, or your forbidding marriage. This even took place in the Catholic Church in saying you were more holy if you uh, actually you know, took a vow of poverty and you, you ate poor people's food, and also if you didn't marry. Priests and nuns, they're supposed to be more holy because, you know, they forsake, they, they're forbidding what God created as good. Martin Luther, during the Reformation, also calls this demonic. That's part of the, during the Reformation, the, the great Martin Luther would rescue nuns out of uh, the, the convent and set them free so that if they wanted to be married, they could. It's a little renegade. See, forbidding what God says is good, it, 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 as a, especially as a mark of righteousness, is of the devil. Also, Advocating, hear this, advocating for what God has forbidden is also demonic. How do we know that? That's exactly what Satan himself, the devil himself, advocated for to Eve. See this tree? Looks good, doesn't it? She's like, yeah, it looks pretty good. God's withholding from you. He wants you to eat it. He doesn't want you to eat it because he doesn't want you to be like him. It was a lie. She was already like him. She's made in the image of God. There was sin had not come into the world yet. She was perfect and holy. He says, God is, is withholding from you. Eat of the tree. He was advocating for what God had forbidden. Demonic. 
And see, this is what false teachers advocate for. They advocate for for things either that God has forbidden or they advocate uh, in saying that you should withhold something or you should forbid something that God has said was good. It happens. And so false teachers, this, they, additionally, they advocate a false salvation and promote a false holiness. In Timothy's day, they're saying that if you don't get married and you don't eat certain foods, you're more holy. It's a, a false sense of holiness. And, and Paul's saying hey, it's not a, you're made holy by the word of God. That's how you're made holy. We're made holy when we submit to the word of God. We're made holy by obeying the word of God. We're made holy by the presence and power of Jesus through his spirit that is imparted to us through faith. Holy, righteous, set apart. These false teachers and these demonic spirits, what they do is they leverage oftentimes. And so he says that they're gonna leave, people are going to be leaving the church. In our day, what we tend to see the way Satan is, is working is he leverages your past hurts. Especially if you've been hurt by the church or hurt by Christians or hurt by someone in authority, he'll make you believe that all authority is evil. If you've been hurt by a man, he'll make you think that all men are evil. If, you're, if you've been hurt by a woman, he'll make you think all women are evil. If you've been hurt by a Bible teacher, all Bible teachers are evil. If you've been hurt by a, a, a dad, then man, being a dad or having a dad or, or, or male leadership is is evil. You've been hurt by a coach or a friend. What he starts doing is taking places where there's been family abuse or trauma and leveraging past hurts to lead you away from trusting in your heavenly father, trusting in Jesus. Additionally, lie. We, we live in a world that, that, that affirmation uh, trumps repentance. See, Jesus says that I mean, we, we are guilty of sin and we need to Repent. Jesus showed up preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning all people need to turn from whatever they worship and worship him. Jews and Gentiles of Jesus' day, he called all men, all women to repent. In our day, we don't believe in repentance. We believe in affirmation. That's, that's, our, that's the gospel. That's the false salvation. If you're not, if you don't, if you don't like the, the thoughts you're believing and, and you don't, you know, if, if they're, they're harming you, well, no, think, don't think different thoughts. Don't exchange those thoughts for God's thoughts. Just affirm that person in those thoughts. Yes. If they want to be a duck, they can identify as a duck. Or a woman or a man or whatever it is. Like we're in a day where it, the pedophilia is actually being talked about as another list to the alphabet soup we have going on in the, in the LGBT as it keeps going. You're like, how do we get there? We deviated from God's word. We've been deviating for a long, 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 long time. But as a Christians and, and as a church, we've just been like, you know, that one's not too bad. That one's not too bad. Ah, that one is. Um, it's not about bad or good, or how people feel. It's what does God's word say? So we live in a world that demands that you affirm. If you don't affirm, you get canceled. If you don't affirm, you get crucified. To put it in Jesus' terms, if you, don't, if you don't conform or you don't affirm, you get publicly condemned. And this is this lie, these lies from Satan and demon, demons pressuring us, pressuring people. And, and Paul say the church, to leave the faith. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier. It's easier. There was a friend of mine, and he was a friend, and he was, uh, I found out one day, he, he, he came over to my house, and he said, hey, man, I need to tell you about the day, like, the demons entered me. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not prepared for this one. Uh, he says, no, but seriously. Um, and he, he seemed like a pretty normal guy. He said, when I, there was this, some trauma that happened to him. He says, it was in this moment where uh, demons showed up. And he's these demonic spirits, and they said if I, if I, you know, followed them or did, it was a seance, was some, some weird witchcraft stuff that he was involved in. If I do these things, that I would be healed. And he was an, an alcoholic and a drug user, so he had a lot of drug problems. And he, he was like, man, I, I just don't, I, I'm not getting help, like, I, I'm not, I'm not getting, making progress. 
But whenever I do what the demons tell me to do, or whenever I, you know, give way to my sin, what I know is sinful according to the Bible, when I do those things, all the pain is gone. Later on, he transitions, goes from guy to something else, and he's like, everything changed. I no longer am an addict, no longer a drug user, no longer an alcoholic. All these things change. You see, Satan and demons in the culture we live in are in cahoots together in such a way that will allow you, quote, what looks like uh, thriving, what looks like flourishing, what looks like acceptance here on earth because they know that you'll be tormented forever. So they'll alleviate your torment now so you can have prolonged suffering later because that's their end. They're lying. And Paul loves his church, and I love you. You're like, man, this is really, 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 really narrow-minded. It is. There's one God, one Savior, one salvation, one King, one Lord, one kingdom. It's Jesus. That's all. And so forbidding what God says is, is, is good is demonic. Advocating for what God forbids is demonic. And the argument will be, you'll be put, positioned in culture and society to, to, to basically have to choose one. Who will you worship? Will you worship Jesus? Or will you just be silent? That's typically what Christians do. They're just silent and everything. Like, oh. Because you're afraid of being phobic of something. See, you must, as a follower of Jesus, give Jesus not just your life, your money, your time, your, your hobbies, your, your future, your, your job. You need to give him your reputation. Give him your reputation. Because guess what? They falsely accused Jesus. They lied about Jesus and they killed Jesus. And Jesus says that they treat you like me, throw a party because they did, they did that to me and all the prophets. So this false holiness is this you must affirm what God says is sin, or you'll be publicly condemned. Some of you may say, Al, is this, isn't this, uh, what about the separation of church and state? Like, the, let the world do the world thing and the church do the church thing. Yes, I don't think that the church should compromise the Bible, but really do we have to speak to what's going on in culture? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, it's the state that cannot tell the church what to do, but it is, the, it is the job of the church, and it has been from its origin, to tell the state what to do. Period. Period. Why? Because all humans are made in the image and glory of God. When they're being maligned, when they're being abused, when they're being uh, harmed in any way, it is the job of the church to step in and, and speak to it. Additionally, it is the job of the church to, to speak to how, the, how God has, has set things into motion. How God has wired everything, planned it all out for the good and flourishing of mankind. Example is since we've changed the definition of woman, has that helped women's flourishing? It has not, especially in sports. When guys can play a woman's sport, and, it's, and if, you, if you call them a guy, then you're a bigot, narrow-minded, transphobic person. I'm not, but, you know, that, say what you want. If that's... If that's equality for women and betterment for women, then we've lost our mind. We've lost it. And saying that you're somehow harming people, that's not true. It is our job as the, as, as, because we love women, because we, love, we believe they're made in the image and likeness of God, and all humans are, we're calling people back to their intended, created order for the good and flourishment of them and society. And the state can't tell the church what to do, but the church must. This is what got John the Baptist beheaded. And if we're lucky enough, we may get to see Jesus sooner like him. It's true. This is what John the Baptist did. He told the, the ruler of the day that, hey, you're not allowed to get that woman as your wife. She's not your wife. You can't take her. So she cut off, they cut off his head. He had no Twitter had no, had no Instagram, no was, sermons were not online. This was just, he just said it. Word got around fast. He opposed the state. 
The Apostle Paul, through his preaching, Peter, the, the first church, through their preaching, the state kept coming to them and saying, hey, you got to stop doing all this stuff in Jesus' name. He said, no. And they kept doing it, and they kept doing it, and they kept doing it. Why? Because people's lives, their souls, their eternities mattered. And this is the same. Some of you are like, well, this is very American of you. No, this is the same for every Christian on planet Earth. I hate it in countries that, that, that have far less freedom than us to say, you know what, we can't share our faith because, you know, the government will get involved. That's when you share it. That's exactly what they did in Acts. They told them it was illegal to preach Jesus. So what they do, they, they, they got louder. And they preached more. And they sent more missionaries and opportunities because the state does not dictate what the church does. Jesus does. Why? Because it's his church. And he's given us his word to follow, implement, know, love, and obey. People need Jesus. And it's our job to speak and tell people what he has said because most people haven't heard. And so... Paul is telling Timothy this, that, that there's these teachers coming. They may come from the culture. They may come from the church who teach lies. And he says they have seared consciences. So what happens when your conscience is seared? Paul tells us in Romans 1. He says this in verse 21. He says, for although they knew God. So think, this is what Paul's talking about. People in the church are going to depart from the faith. All, all know, for all know they knew God. They did not honor him or worship him as God. Or give thanks to him. But they, came, they became futile in their thinking. See, their minds became seared. Their minds were changed. And, there were fool, and their, their foolish hearts were hardened. This is what Paul is warning Timothy about. He's warning Timothy about this. He's warning us about that. So what happens when you, your conscience gets seared? He says, they claim to be wise. They, they listen to CNN. They listen to Fox News. They got a, they got a university degree. They, they, they know things now. But they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. What mankind can accomplish is awesome. But God is more awesome. His glory is greater. Birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. We call this hormone replacement therapy. And because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The issue is worship. They became few, their minds were seared because they, they turned from Jesus as their object of worship and started worshiping things created by man. And, and God gave them up and they became impure. Verse 26 says, For that reason, because they, they, they refused to worship God, for that reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, biology, how you're created, matters. God made it that way. Verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with other men, receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they're still not worshiping God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Sounds like the world we live in, right? They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent. Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They just make up new evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree. Why? Because the church is heralding it. People know it. We're, we're sharing it. Just because you don't believe in it doesn't give you the authority. 
They know God's righteous decree. Even though they know it, those who practice such things deserve to die. Not only them, not only, not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is, Romans 1 is on full display in our nation. It's because we've exchanged the devotion and worship of Jesus for the devotion and worship of lies that have seared our consciences and we have been led astray. As a nation. Like, well, were we always, I'm not, I'm not speaking to a glory day. What I'm speaking to is any day and age in which mankind rebels against God continually, frequently. They, they become, they, they, they hate God so much in their heart because they only want to do what they, it's right in their own sight. God gives them over. And destruction happens in their life, the lives of others, the world. The Roman Empire was destroyed because of this. This is what happens. They they, they eventually will undo themselves to the point where they cannot function any longer, the Roman Empire. We will do the same. In Acts 2, the church, however, was not devoted to to shameful acts, or they weren't, to, they weren't devoted to the, the teachings of demons. They were devoted to the word of God. In Acts 2.42, we're told that they're devoted to God's word. And what happened? That people got saved. The church grew. People who had needs got them met. Those who were poor, those who were rich helped them out. That there was benevolence and care and, and vitality that happened and spread through what? The gospel The gospel was offensive in their day. It's offensive in our day. When Peter preached it and 3,000 got saved, you know what his opening line was? One of his opening lines was, you killed Jesus. You murderers. Like, that's how he started. Romans 1 is is being played out. A a, a rebellion against the devotion to God and devotion to to, to worship of, of, of things that God forbids. It's happening in our country, but it's happening. The, the, the group I'm talking about is, is, I want to speak to, is in the church. Christians, those who call themselves Christians. Last year, uh, in last August, I believe, in August of 2021, a Barna massive research company, they did, they did a study. They said this, that they found out that only, so this is new news, this is as of last year, only 9% of self-professed Christians have a biblical worldview. Meaning, that they believe that what the Bible says is true and they operate their lives according to God's word, will, and ways. Only 9% of those who claim to be Christian, and it was 176 million people who claimed they were Christian. 9% of that 176 million people said that they, their, their views of, of the world were formed from the Bible, from God's word. To put it this way, this is, what, this is what the majority of people said in that survey. Those of the, the 176 million people in this who identified as a Christian, 72% of them believed that people were basically good. 71% of them considered feelings, experience, or the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources for moral guidance. said that uh, having faith matters, uh, sorry, says that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. Just you got to have faith in something. It doesn't matter which one. This is, that was 66%. 64% says all religious faith are equal in value. These are Christians. 64% of self-professed Christians says, hey, all religions are the same. Problem is, no religion believes that. But those 66 people, percent of people, 58% of these professed Christians believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way to heaven. 58% of professing Christians contend that the Holy Spirit is not real. So most of the sermon, not real. Spiritual stuff, not real. Living being is merely just a, he's not a real living being, he's just a symbol of God's power. Just a symbol of God's power and presence. Impurity. 57% of professing Christians of the 176 million believe in karma. It's not Christian at all. 52% claim 
that determining moral truth is up to each individual, that there is no moral or absolute truth that applies to everyone all the time. These are, quote, Christians. All of those things are not biblical. The majority of Christians, so when you say, what do you mean that the majority of Christians uh, in this survey don't have a Christian worldview? That's what I mean. That the way they see the world is not formed by the Bible, but it's formed. All of those things, you say them publicly in the world we live in today, those are all believed in our, in our country, in our day and age. The spirit of the age, where we live, it, that having faith doesn't matter, just we're all spiritual, just you choose you. All faiths are equal, yep, just don't offend me, I won't offend you, everyone's good. Just be a good enough person, I think you'll get to heaven. That's every person, at every, every teacher at every university, that's what they're spewing. Every politician, that's what's going on. That's what's forming our world, our heart, our mind. And they're going, and half the Christians go, yeah, I agree with that one. I agree with that. Willfully, they admitted to these things. These, this, was, this was not, they did not think, oh man, I can't believe I'm saying this. They had no clue. No clue. Why do I bring all these things up? Where am I going with all this? I bring all this up because most of you, especially the, the, the younger you are, 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 spend a lot of time, whether it be on social media or news or different platforms, that are designed to, to bring about you uh, uh, anger, to manipulate you, to, 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 to make you hostile against your friend or your family member who disagrees with you, or they're, they're designed to, to, to give you the information they want you to hear and deceive you. And if, and if you don't have a Christian worldview, I'm not saying I'm against social media platforms. What I'm saying is that if that is you and you don't have a Christian worldview, your mind is not formed by the God of the Bible, then no wonder it is inevitable that you will be deceived. This isn't a hard task for Satan and demons. They just got to get you to not believe that God has already said all he wants you to know. He wants to keep you from it. The rest is easy. So Paul ends his, his section to Timothy in this way. The, with the antidote. With what do we do in light of all that? He says this. What do we do in light of the, the, the coming pressure or the coming deception? Or what do we do? He says this. He, he, he gives an exhortation to be good servants of Jesus. He says this, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith, having good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irrever irreverent silly myths, rather training yourselves for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds the promise for this life and also the life to come. This is, the, this is don't be deceived, don't be discipled, don't be trained by the spirit of the age, but be formed and trained by the words of sound doctrine, God's word. A lack of training, a lack of discipline, a lack of preparedness in God's word makes you, makes the church, made all these people, the, the high percentage of these people, vulnerable to be deceived because they did not know God nor that did they know his word. Therefore, when the, the assault came from the enemy, they didn't even know it was happening. When he blurred the lines, they didn't even realize that it happened to them. And Paul is warning Timothy about this. And we live in a, wor a world, and what I like to call us, we're the tell me what to think generation. Just, just tell me what to think, pastor. Just tell me what am I supposed to believe. It's just hard work. I want to, what do we believe? What do we believe? How many of you have thought that? Like, just tell me what we believe. I don't know what we believe. You just tell me what we believe. This happens all over the place. Well, what, what, is our, what does my political party believe? I don't know. Let me Google that. What do we believe? And then, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that one. Or, or what, do I, what do I believe? And this is the, the, the social media, the world we live in, it's just a bunch of influencers, people trying to tell you what to believe. And we're like, yeah, that's right, that's what we want. Government tell us what to believe. Social media tell us what to believe. Everyone just, just tell us what to believe. You're like, oh, that's what you're here for, to preach. No, I'm telling you, Jesus has already told you what to believe. I'm trying to expose the lies and point you back to Jesus and his word. We believe what sound good, sounds good and fits our world. And so this would happen in, in the 90s. There was a bunch of people who thought it was cool to be a Christian. So they're like, yeah, 
I like that. Just tell me what to believe. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's cool. The captain of the football team believes in Jesus. Oh, I do too. Yeah, that's cool. Then later they all leave the faith. Why? Because they found someone else to put their faith in. They found another talking figure, a person of influence, someone whom they wanted to be like. They never wanted to be like Jesus. They wanted to be like that person. So if you're a Christian today and you're a Christian simply because you wanted to be like someone you thought was cool, you were in danger. If Jesus isn't the reason why you're a Christian and you want to be like Jesus, then you are in danger. People change their minds. They change their positions. They change their theology. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Put your faith in him. Don't be convinced by the world. Be convinced by the scriptures. If you're convinced by the scriptures, then you won't change. And you'll be able to discern lies when the culture around you starts to lie to you. And Paul's exhorting Timothy in this way. You want to be a good servant of Jesus? Put these things before the brothers and sisters in the church. Put these things before them. Tell them these things. He's not saying uh, primarily to go tell the, the non-believing world. He's saying Christians got to believe these things. This is what we got to believe it got his word to be, to be uh, put these things before the brothers. Be trained in the words of the faith. They need to be trained in his word. Put, put those things before the church. He's, he's, he's saying, pastors, tell your members. Members, tell one another. Friends, tell your friends. Church members, tell your friends. Tell your family. Those who know, love, and trust Jesus, 72% of them don't have a Christian worldview. Well, actually 90. 91% don't, but 72% of them think some bizarre things. I'm not, this is not me telling you to go get on social media and, and try to make, have arguments. Who are the people in your sphere of influence that you know and love? Can you help them see that Jesus is worth more than anything? Point them to the scriptures. 71% of those people, uh, Christians, said they considered that their feelings, uh, their, their experience, or the input of their friends and family could be trusted. But we're so afraid of being called a narrow-minded, a bigot, that you won't talk to your friends, you won't talk to your family, you, that you'll let them go astray because you're just afraid of, you know, what they might think of you. Give Jesus your reputation today. Give it to him. Let people call you what they will, as long as you herald the truth and love to them. He says, additionally, to be a good servant of Jesus, you also need to be trained in the words of the faith. And follow good doctrine. This is what we are to be trained in. God's word. The Bible. To be trained in it. The, this word also, training here, could be, uh, some translation translated to discipline. Being disciplined in the words of the faith. To be trained in the words of the faith. Training takes discipline. Those of you who've been a part of athletics understand this. If you, it takes time. It takes Discipline. If, you are, uh, if you've ever seen a great guitar player or a great musician or a great, man, we were watching tennis this summer. Like every, every single person who watches tennis is like, I can do that, right? I can do that. Like I could, I could for sure do this. And then you see people go out there playing tennis and they, they knock the ball over, over the, you know, the, the fence. And no, it, tennis is hard. Golf looks really easy. Just hit a ball and, you know, it goes, right? You know, top golf is made for made us all think that that is the lion deception that we all think that we can play golf because we see top golf. Not true. To be a good to be a great guitar player, a great athlete, a great musician, a great uh, uh, engineer, a great whatever job you do, in order to be great at any of those things, you've, it takes discipline. But if you're watching a great athlete, don't they make it look easy? Don't they make it look easy? You ever ever seen someone who who man you're you're at a prayer meeting or you're, they're praying or you see someone man they just make prayer look easy, they make following Jesus look easy. It's not, but they are trained in it, so it does maybe when they're they're older. You know you you, you maybe that person in your community group that sent, that can bring passages of scripture to mind quickly. That didn't come overnight. That came through training disciplining themselves for godliness. Probably mostly the most people who can sp who recall Scripture quickly are those who depend on it daily, who need it. The reason why they're good at recalling it because they have to recall it for themselves. Why? Because they're training themselves, their souls, for the purpose of godliness. See, if you make time for something and show up, 
You'll be trained in the words of the faith. Make time to meet with Jesus in his word. If your boss calls you or, 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 or a teacher or whatever sphere you're in and someone in authority calls you, calls an appointment, says, hey, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., you'll be there, right? Well, Jesus has called you to a relationship him with him. Show up. Show up. Wake up tomorrow morning and know that Jesus wants to, to walk with you through the life you have. Set an appointment, meet with him in his word, read his word. If you need to be help trained in his word, come to CG Collective this Wednesday. Send us an email. We will help equip you. Speak up. We'll, we'll get you involved in a discipleship group. We'll find ways to help train you. But here's the deal. I, I say this all the time. If you don't have a want to, it doesn't matter if I give you a how-to. That's why I'm not giving how-tos right now. If you want to, then speak up and we'll help you. Additionally, he says, good servants of Jesus avoid the lies of culture. He calls them silly myths. This is, don't participate in the stupid stuff that goes on on social media. He's saying also, if you spend more time being formed by God's word, you won't be tempted towards the clickbait article because it won't, you don't care anymore. It doesn't care, you don't care about it because you're, you're wrapped up in something greater, something glorious in, in God and his word and in our faith. Some of you might need to get off social media. Media. I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying that social media is evil. But if you're emotionally wrapped up in it, or it's taking up all your time, and you don't have time, and you're like, man, well, how am I going to get trained in God's word? Then maybe take a break from it. Read your Bible. Refuse to get, get caught up in the news before you've been, you met with the Lord Jesus through his word. Lastly, he says, good servants train for the purpose of godliness. So he says you'd be trained in what? The words of the faith and good doctrine, which is the Bible. But he says, why? He wants you to know your purpose. Know your purpose. Any training that, that is going to be long-lasting has a purpose. This is why when everyone, no one really wants to lose weight in January. Uh, so they, they, they're like, I, I, I like the idea of losing weight, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. But even the, the, the workout routine they start in January is for a purpose, to lose weight. They stop believing in that purpose, so they stop dieting, exercising, whatever. Same thing for the Christian. What is your purpose? Is your purpose that you, you want to meet with your maker? Know your Lord, your Savior, the one who gave his life for you? I mean, if, if someone that, that were to enter the room and you found out the reason why you exist and the reason why you have life and the reason why you're breathing, the reason why you, you have hope and you have a future and the reason why you, you are where you are is because someone when I gave their life for you, I'd have a lot of questions. Jesus died in your place for your sins. He exchanged your life for his. Get to know him through his word. He's spoken. Every athlete, every musician, every skilled artist, every person at the highest of their game knows their purpose. They don't give up. Why? Because they know their purpose. Our purpose, he says, purpose of godliness. Godliness takes work. It's tough. I, want, I don't want you to think I'm saying here that they're exactly the same. Like the skills and the, the training that it takes to be an athlete, I'm giving those as examples. See, as Christians, if you know, love, and trust Jesus, you don't work by your own power to achieve godliness. You don't work by your own efforts to produce holiness. It's dependent on Jesus. See, Philippians 2.13 says it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit works in concert with the Christian. It's, this isn't a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps finish and labor like an athlete and you'll, you know, succeed. This is a labor with Jesus by the power of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that empowered Jesus for his life and ministry is available to you, Christian. Will you work in concert with him? To, for the purpose, training yourself, your heart, your mind, renewing your mind for the purpose of godliness. He says, bodily training, that's good, do it. But don't forsake godliness because it has value in every way, it says, as it holds promise for this present life and the life to come. And so as we come to an end as we take and consider that we live in a world, we have a real enemy who wants to lie, steal, deceive us, steal our joy, rob us of, of our power in Christ, rob us of our hope. And, and he's infiltrated everything, every place 
refined ourselves to lie and deceive us. And we have a, 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 a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who's come to rescue us and has offered us his life. He's given us his word. And we have the marching orders to, in the exhortation to train ourselves to the purpose of godliness. The question that we have to end with is, do you want that? Do you want Jesus? Do you, do you even care? Because it's one thing to hear all these things and go, I agree, I agree. And this is, that could be you just following the pathway of the culture. is like, I agree with these talking points. Who cares if you agree with the talking points? Who cares if you believe every point I made? I don't care if you can affirm it and you can say it out loud and you can give me a thumbs up and good job, pastor. I don't care. What I care is that you're convinced that Jesus is God, that Jesus is your Savior, that Jesus has revealed himself in, in putting on skin and bones, coming as a man to live life in your place for your sins. He's also given you his word. Are you convinced of that? Because the majority of Christians, self-proclaimed Christians, are not convinced of that. That's what I care about. Are you convinced? Are you dedicated? Are you devoted to Jesus? Or are you devoted to something else? So as we end, I told you I'd talk about Peter. Peter was a man, the man who, who walked with Jesus. He walked with him. He was one of his disciples. But there was a time where, where Peter, who, was, who could say all the right things, who was a, a part of Jesus' ministry, he began to wrestle with the idea of, is this conviction or is this what, what, what I feel, what seems right in his own sight? When Jesus telling him that Peter, he was going to go die in the place of sinners, be crucified for you and I and for Peter and all the world. When he was going to be crucified, killed, buried on behalf of sinful man and sinful woman, Peter says, no, Jesus, I won't let you. Peter, thinking he was doing what was right, why would someone want to suffer? Why would someone want to die? Why would, this would be really, really bad. I love Jesus, I want to protect him. Here's the deal. Jesus didn't need protection. He still doesn't. Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Because if there's no crucifixion, if there's no cross, if there's no suffering servant, there's no salvation. Later, Jesus and Peter were talking. And he said, so Peter, in that moment, was operating out of his flesh, out of his feelings, out of what he saw the world, how he saw it, what other people were saying. Later, because Peter likes to think about what other people are saying and form his worldview, Jesus tells Peter, hey, Peter, who do you say I am? Peter says, well, they say you're this guy. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're just a good man. People say a lot of things about you, Jesus. You're one of those, right? Jesus says, no, Peter. I did not ask what did the pastor say I am like. I didn't ask what your grandmother said. I didn't ask what your mom said. I didn't ask what your friends said. I didn't ask what anyone said. Peter, who do you say I am? And he responded. He says, you are the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the living God. And he, Jesus responded. And he said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but the Holy Spirit. The point I'm making at the end is this is what I'm not asking is where are you going to intellectually ascend to with your mind on who Jesus is? What category are you going to put him in your mind? The question I'm asking is will you worship him as the only God, the only King, the only Savior, the only Lord, and give him your life? your reputation, your thoughts, your dreams, your everything? If the answer is no, you're not a Christian. That's what a Christian is. You can't identify as someone that you're not. In order to become one, you need, to, you need a spiritual transformation. Flesh and blood can't convince you. The Spirit of God must. So the call, if you're saying, I want a new life, I want a new heart, I want to follow Jesus, I love him, I care for him, let me tell you what Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. 
but you've been transformed and saved by the, the power of the Spirit. And if that's you today, you're going, no, I was a fake Christian. I'm ready to be a real one. And we invite you to simply believe. Believe that Jesus is the only one, the only way, the only truth. He can give you his life. The link that Jesus went to save you was hanging on a cross. Gave his life completely for you. That's love. That's love. There's no other amount of love that one could have for you than that of Christ Jesus. Is your heart changing? Is your heart turning? Do you want to worship him? If so, I invite you to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that we would sit and think about the words that we have heard from your word. I pray that you would convict us where we need conviction. You would train us where we need training. You would help us where we need help. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Would you lead us on the path of righteousness? Would you lead us to your presence where there is pleasure forevermore? Would you lead us, O Lord? May our lives not be marked with just plausible words. Our lives not be marked with just talking points of what we say with our mouth. But Lord, may our life be marked with what we believe in our heart. May we believe in our heart that Jesus, you've risen from the dead. May we believe in our heart that you've spoken to us through your word. May we believe in our heart that knowing you, being near you, being trained in your words is the safest place that we could be. It's where life is. It's where your presence is. It's where flourishing is. So forgive us where we've strayed. Where we need to repent, may we do so now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.